0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, The Faith of John Wesley, an examination of our Methodist heritage in the life of its founder, John Wesley. Join us now for our message, Submitting to Be More Vile. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. I want to welcome everyone who's in the sanctuary and I want to welcome everyone who is worshiping there at home. We're glad that you have joined us this morning. Today is uh, Communion Sunday and so if you're worshiping at home, make sure that you have some bread or some grape juice or wine ready so later on you can join us in the celebration of the sacrament. Now, as usual, we're going to be taking our prayer requests during our service. So those in the sanctuary, we have our prayer cards at the back. And for those of you at home, you can go ahead and just post that to the Facebook feed, and we'll lift that up to the Lord later on during the service. I wanted to also um, invite you, if you've not done so already, to give an offering for the ministry of this church. You can do that through our website, tumcd.org, by mailing a check to the church or through our church center app. You can also, through mailing a check or the Church Center app, contribute to our February communion rail offering, which is going to Heifer International, which is actually one of my favorite organizations. I think they do fantastic work of battling hunger and poverty. And they do this in a sustainable way by working alongside local farmers all over the world, United States and all around the world. So for the rest of the month of February, we'll be taking offerings for Heifer International. We do have our our uh, commun- or, excuse me our connection groups. We have two on Sunday mornings, the UM Disciplines and our Lyft class that is currently studying the book Revival, Faith as Wesley Lived It. And then we have our pastor's Bible study Wednesday nights at 7 a.m. If you need more information, then contact the church. Did I say a.m.? Do not, do not show up at my house at 7 a.m. <laughs> do not do that. You'll not like the response you get. It's 7 p.m. 7 p.m. is our pastor's Bible study. Thank you. Thank you for that considerably. Now let us enter into a spirit of worship and prayer with our opening chorus.
1: Please join me in our opening prayer. Great Triune God, we have gathered here in your name as an act of faith, believing that you are not only among us, but that you love us. It is often hard to recognize your love, see your mercy, and feel your presence. Help us today in our worship that we might be transparent to your grace as you reveal yourself to each one of us. Amen. Amen. Please stand as you're able and join in our responsive call to worship. God loves us with a steadfast love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God loves us so much He gave us His Son. Let us believe and have eternal life. God loves us with a great love rich in mercy. Let us have faith to receive this grace. Give thanks to the Lord for God is good. We are blessed to be together in this space and at home, worshiping online, and our wish for you is peace be with you. Please join us in our opening hymn, By Grace We Have Been Saved. You'll recognize the tune and the words are on the screen. Be Please join me in our prayer for illumination. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditation of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, "...does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays his hands on its shoulders and rejoices, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance."
0: When we last left John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he had just had his heart strangely warmed. After a disastrous two years as the parish priest of Savannah, Georgia, John had sailed back to England convinced that he had utterly failed God. He spent the next several months in despair, praying desperately for guidance. And one evening, John went to a religious meeting at a house on the street of Aldersgate in London. And he went with great reluctance, but once there he heard someone read from the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And as he listened, John said that his heart was strangely warmed as the truth about God's grace finally sunk in. And he wrote in his journal, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And nothing in John Wesley's life was ever the same after that. He became passionate with zeal for Christ, and he felt compelled to share his experience with anybody who would listen. So just two weeks after his encounter with God at Aldersgate, John was preaching at a church in London where he described this change that had taken place within him. In fact, he had claimed that prior to that night, just two weeks ago, he would not been a real Christian. Now I might add that later in life, Wesley reconsidered his claim and he came to see himself that that he was a Christian prior to Aldersgate, but to explain the difference between the before and the after, he summed it up with this observation that prior to that night, he thought of himself as a servant of God, but after that night, he knew himself to be a beloved child of God but that first sermon in London was received with alarm. No one knew, what to think of this new John Wesley, he was labeled an enthusiast. That was not a compliment. Now enthusiast literally means filled with God, but in 18th century England, to label someone with an enthusiast was the equivalent to say someone was a religious fanatic or a holy roller or a Jesus freak. It meant that they were obnoxiously overzealous. In fact John's preaching so disturbed the people of London but by the end of that year there were only 5 churches in the entire city of London where he was still able and invited to allowed to be in the pulpit. Now about that same time one of John's old friends from the Holy Club at the Holy Club that was the club that he had formed back at Oxford so this is a man named George Whitfield he'd begun preaching outdoors in and around the city of Bristol, England, which is kind of there on the southwest coast of England. And he invited John to come on out and and see what was happening there. John arrived in Bristol and was both scandalized and amazed at the impact that Whitfield's preaching was generating. Bristol was a major port city that served as a starting point for the Atlantic slave trade. And it was also surrounded by dozens of uh, coal mines. So as a result, there were large numbers of uneducated sailors and miners who felt unwelcomed in the local churches there in Bristol. In fact, the nearby village of Kingswood, there was not a single church in that village to serve the miners and their families. Well, Whitfield preached out in the fields and invited John to join him. And John wrote in his journal, I could scarcely reconcile myself at first to this strange way of preaching in the fields, having been all my life until very lately so tenacious in every point relating to decency and order that I should have thought the saving of a soul almost a sin if it had not been done in a church. Well, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile and proclaim in the highways the glad tidings of salvation to about 3,000 people. Now, though at first John considered outdoor preaching to be vile or irreverent or uncouth, He realized earlier in that day, while he was leading a Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount, that if Jesus could preach outside, so could he. Some have considered online worship services to be vile, irreverent, and uncouth, especially before the pandemic, but I ask you, where would we be now after the pandemic if we hadn't started that? And so just as John submitted to be more vile, we too have embraced a new and a different way to do ministry online. And if that makes us vile, so be it. Uh, we don't want the scribes and Pharisees to tell us what's the right thing to do. Well, observers noticed that when John Wesley or George Whitfield preached out in the fields and those tough coal miners heard the good news of God's grace, it said that you could see the wet tracks of their tears coming down on their cold, stained faces. And people who had heard Wesley preach in person said, It was as if he was looking straight at each individual and talking to them directly. Many people have written that it seemed like his words were exactly what they needed to hear in their life at that time. Now John was not only a very effective preacher, he was a master organizer. And he took these individuals who expressed an interest in leading a holier life and he organized them into small groups that met regularly to support each other. And so many people came forward in Bristol that John bought some land and had a meeting house built upon it. And this was the first ever Methodist building and it was given the name of the new room. And now still today in the city of Bristol, England, there's still a Methodist congregation that meets there in the new room. And I might add that these small groups that he founded as well as some other ministry he did later in his life is what constituted the beginnings of what we now think of as Sunday school and small group ministry. This got started in Bristol too, there with John Wesley and George Whitfield. But John never intended to start a new denomination. These Methodist meeting houses were meant to be places where Methodists met during the week. They were still encouraged to go to their local Anglican church on Sundays and receive the sacrament. And John did for the rest of his life Remained a priest in good standing in the Church of England, though I might add that being a church in, or excuse me, a priest in good standing did not mean that he was particularly popular with the powers that be. But it really shouldn't be too surprising, however, that John's field preaching and his Methodist meeting houses that they proved to be controversial. You see, at the time, England was divided into church parishes. These were like little local areas that were anchored to a single specific church, and the priest, the senior priest at that particular church or congregation, had the authority in that parish, and that priest was supposed to refrain from interfering in other priests' parishes. In fact, even though it's very, very rare that this ever happens, it is possible ...for United Methodist Pastor today to still be brought up on church charges... ...by interfering in another pastor's congregation or another pastor's ministry. That's why, for example, I would never officiate a wedding or a funeral at another church... ...if I didn't have that pastor's permission. Well, John came in, though, and he preached wherever he wanted... ...regardless of the feelings of the local priest. Because John argued that since he was an Oxford professor and not a parish priest. He was not confined to any one parish, and he could preach wherever he felt called to preach. And he's very famously quoted as saying that the world is my parish. And I might add, today with our online ministry, we can also now say that the world is our parish as well. Well, John began to travel throughout England preaching, and at one point he made his way back. Well, let me a little interesting thing I read even after I wrote this sermon. It is figured out that he rode on horseback so far during his lifetime, going from place to place to preach, that he put in enough miles that he could have rode his horse to the moon and back. Well, at one point, while he was making his way to the moon and back, he stopped at the village of Epworth where he grew up. And the local priests would not let him preach in that church, even though his own father had been the parish priest there for decades. So John just waited for the Sunday service to be over and then he preached outside in the adjoining cemetery while standing upon his father's grave because John Wesley himself was so short. I think I've read somewhere that he was 5'3". So many were offended at John's preaching that he often received death threats and sometimes mobs would come after him even though fortunately he never really suffered any serious injury or any real violence. But he often had rotten eggs or rotten vegetables thrown at him while he preached. I am so glad y'all don't do that today. Very lucky. Well, in his journal, John wrote with just a little bit of glee about a particular instance where a heckler came in with his pockets just filled with rotten eggs ready to throw at John as soon as he began to preach. But before that could happen, someone came up to that would-be heckler and smashed all the eggs in all his pockets by slapping at his chest. Therefore, the would-be heckler then had all the rotten eggs smell on him as well. Well, John preached primarily on grace and holiness. And he insisted that God's grace was available to every single person, to all people. And this is, as we've often talked about, in contrast to the message of John Calvin of an earlier generation, who preached that God's grace was only for the elect who had been predestined for salvation before the creation of the world. Well, John preached that it would be unjust of God to consign a person to hell without offering a means for repentance and salvation. The availability of God's grace for everyone continues to be a major conviction in United Methodism. He felt that if God is like a loving parent, if God is our heavenly Father, then it makes no sense to believe that this loving God would create children who were damned even before they were born. Could you imagine a human parent who would do such a thing, much less our heavenly father or heavenly parent? This condemning God doesn't sound like the kind of God that Jesus talked about in those parables. This condemning God doesn't sound like the good shepherd who would go and search for that one sheep while leaving the 99, or that woman who would search relentlessly for a missing coin. Or a father who might go out to embrace a prodigal son. In preaching about God's grace, uh, John used this Ephesians passage that Wesley read earlier. He used this passage over 40 times as a sermon text in his sermons. And he felt that this, this little text from Ephesians encapsulated the gospel. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God not the result of works so that no one may boast, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So a life with God is what got predestined at the beginning of the world. And so exactly then what is grace? We hear this word a lot in our churches, but what exactly does it mean? Well, the Greek word that we translate as grace refers to an act of kindness, an expression of selfless love that is completely unearned by the recipient and an act of kindness that expects no repayment in return. Grace is part of God's fundamental nature. It's a part of God's very character, just in the same way that we could say love or creativity is just part of God's very character. And this grace is expressed in God's active influence through the Holy Spirit that draws us closer to God and neighbor and helps to restore in us the full image of God. John liked to describe salvation as a journey or a movement that moves from grace to grace. And he often explained that, first of all, from the moment we are conceived, all of us are surrounded with what John Wesley called prevenient grace. It's like we swim in it in the same way that a fish swims in the sea. And this is the grace that comes before any kind of faith in Christ that we might have. It allows us to do good works before we know God or even know of God. And also, this prevenient grace gives us the ability to respond to God's overtures or to Christ's invitation and to perhaps be convicted of our sin. And this change can come suddenly or can come over a period of time, but it is characterized by our realization that we need God. Pervenient grace leads us to repentance, that is the turning away from our sin and our conviction that we are going to from now on lead a new life. And then when we have heartfelt faith and trust in God through Christ, Provenient grace is what leads us to finally say yes to God's invitation to be in relationship. And so, at that point, we experience what John called justifying grace, or that forgiveness that now puts us in right relationship with God. We can say that we're born again, or that we're born from above, or that we're regenerated, or we're transformed to leading that new life in Christ. At that point, then, we're gifted with assurance that indeed we are in a saving relationship with God. And this sense of assurance can be, it can be experiences like this dramatic sense of relief to finally know that you are accepted by God. Or it can be just like that subtle feeling that you might have, that God has your back and is pointing you to new directions of purpose and grace. And this new birth then uh, leads to a life of growth in holiness And here we experience then what John called sanctifying grace. God begins to transform our wills and our affections so that we end up wanting the things of God. And we begin to experience increasing levels of love and joy while at the same time sin and evil begin to just loosen their grip on us. We're led to periodically rededicate our lives to Christ and we regularly partake in the means of grace, And as we grow in grace, we seek to share this love and grace of God through the witness of our very lives. And we seek not only personal sanctification, but social sanctification as well. Because part of us becoming more holy means that we are out in the world working to bring God's love, God's dream of love and peace and justice to become a reality for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the goal of sanctification, then, is what sometimes gets called entire sanctification or Christian perfection. And Christian perfection is a belief that is unique to Methodism. Other denominations and other branches of the Christian family tree talk about justification and sanctification. But John Wesley also talked about Christian perfection. And this does not mean that we become perfect in every aspect of our lives, or that we never uh, make a mistake or we never suffer again from just general human flaws. But Christian perfection rather means, uh, means rather that our love of God and neighbor has been perfected. And in that moment, we no longer serve any motive save for love. Now, Wesley was deeply skeptical of those who claimed they had reached a state of Christian perfection. He would observe that individuals may be able to be in a state of perfection for periods of time, but they're later going to revert to their pre-perfection state. He did believe, however, that it was God's intention that we should love perfectly and that it was in the power of God to bestow this gift. All Christians then should, with the Spirit's help, strive for this protection, or excuse me, perfection and love And as he put it, to expect to be made perfect in this lifetime and to look forward to it in this lifetime. And I can tell you at the the final clergy session of annual conference, where the clergy finally uh, approve of all the candidates that will be ordained in the ordination service for that annual conference, they're, they're asked three questions Are you going on to perfection? Do you believe or do you expect to be made perfect in love in this life? Are you earnestly striving after it? And believe me, we're expected to say yes to all three questions. But we do that with great humility and I can almost, when I was up there, I could almost hear us all swallowing hard before we made that answer in the affirmative. Well, at the end of earthly life, the Christian reaches then the state of glorification. Our baptism has reached its consummation. Our our sanctification has been made complete. And this is the fullness of salvation that lies beyond physical life and awaits for us where we will abide then in perfect and loving communion with God forever. Now we grow in grace by participating in the means of grace. And the means of grace are the channels and the tools that God uses to bestow grace in us, thereby making us true disciples of Jesus Christ. And there are two categories uh, of means of grace. they are works of piety and there works of mercy. And we're going to explore the works of mercy next week. But the works of piety include all those things that help us uh, directly grow and enhance our relationship with God. And sometimes what Wesley called works of piety are what get called now spiritual disciplines. And so these works of piety can include, though they're not limited to these, uh, the public and private worship of God, receiving the sacraments, prayer and meditation, Bible reading, other types of spiritual reading, spiritual friendship and spiritual direction, fasting, journaling. I also add, I think going out and communing with nature is a work of piety, and there are others as well. The thing is, if we neglect these means of grace, then we're going to revert to earlier stages of spiritual immaturity, So if we want to grow as Christians, if we don't want to grow just as human beings, we must practice these disciplines. Growth in love of God and neighbor is not going to happen if we don't practice these works of piety, these spiritual disciplines. But if we are diligent in participating in the means of grace, then we're going to be able to exhibit more and more of what Paul called in his letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we're going to live as the Hebrew prophet Micah wrote. Uh, he has told, told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And when we participate in these works of piety, then we come close to fulfilling that great commandment that was given to us by Christ, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is this one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. So works of piety then are the means by which we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strengths. And so therefore they finally become the key then to also loving our neighbor and to go on to also then do works of uh, mercy as well. Now, the community of the church, the body of Christ, is essential to perfecting the works of piety. The church is, 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 is it's not just about filling up our spiritual batteries, though it is very important for that. People often say that they feel uh, spiritually recharged after they've gone to church. But going to church is about more than that. It's also about bringing about in us a total transformation that sometimes is going to make us feel recharged and re-energized, but sometimes it's actually not going to make us feel very good at all because sometimes we have to go through difficult things in order to grow. But that's what we do, though, because we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We grow into the likeness of Christ, where the restoration of the image of God is made within us. You see Christ, excuse me, the church does not exist to make us feel better. The church exists to make us better people. And so let us regularly then avail ourselves to the means of grace, as we will this morning with the sacrament of communion, and to strive for Christian perfection, even if we so imperfectly fulfill Christian perfection. And I'll leave you with these words of John Wesley. By using all means of grace, seek God alone. In and through every outward thing, look only to the power of his spirit and the merits of his son. Beware you do not get stuck in the work itself. If you do, it is all lost labor. Nothing short of God can satisfy your soul. Therefore, fix on God in all, through all, and above all.
1: Amen. Please stand as you're able and join in our hymn of response, which is number 365, Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
0: be seated Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. (laughs) Eternal God, we are grateful that you have led us in the past and will continue to lead us into the future. Thank you for your faithfulness to us which does not depend on our own faithfulness to you, for often we have failed to follow your example of love. We have sown seeds of war, not peace. We have spoken words of anger, not love. We have built walls instead of bridges. We repent of these sins and plead for your forgiveness. Change our hearts and give us strength to walk in the ways of reconciliation and peace. And now let us silently confess our sins. the good news Christ died for us while we were yet sinners that proves God's love toward us in the name of Jesus Christ you are forgiven forgiven. glory Glory to God amen the Lord be with with you lift up your hearts let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were brought forth, or you had formed the earth from everlasting to everlasting, you alone are God. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life on the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remains steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. He took his place with sinners and your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. By the baptism of the suffering, death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from the slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread. He gave thanks to you and broke the bread, gave his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Now, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one loaf. So this bread which we break, is this not a sharing then in the body of Christ? And this cup over which we give thanks, is it not a sharing then in the blood of Christ? We will, uh, I'll, I'll serve Lauren and, and Wesley first, but we're going to do this as we have done it uh, since we've been back in the sanctuary You'll go to the center aisle and then you'll you'll make kind of a counterclockwise motion and then come forward to receive right up here. So come taste and see that the Lord is good. Recognize me in my mask. Um. Please, Please pray with me. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now I'm finally at the right spot in my iPad. We do have some prayer requests for today. Um, We want to be praying for Susie Bolf's family, because Susie died yesterday, and she's a grandmother of our... uh, This is from Evelyn Tanner. She's the grandmother of our niece, Emily's boyfriend. And then also a request uh, to pray for uh, Denise and Terry Hicks at the death of Denise's mom. So for all of those who are in grief and mourning, who have lost loved ones, uh, for the Hicks family and the Bolff family, uh, we pray that God's strength and comfort is with them. So Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We have a prayer request uh, uh, from Christine Van Hooser. She's having surgery Tuesday morning to have a mass removed. And so we're praying for the surgery and then that it's not cancer. So we pray that uh, the Lord is with Christine and her medical team during this week and that they can hear some good news as a result of this surgery. So Lord, in your mercy. Um, We want to be praying for, uh, uh, this is from Dana Dempsey, from Lori's parents that they have improved health and that God will provide consistent good home health care aids. I can tell you from personal experience, you... You really want good home health care aides. So we pray that you'll be able to find those individuals that are just right for your family and the health will continue to improve. And also then prayers for Dana's parents' health as well. So Lord in your mercy. We wanna be praying for, this is from Sally Anderson, for Aunt Linda, she's back in the hospital and has fluid on her lungs. And so we pray then for Linda that she can have the care she needs at the hospital. Pray for her and her medical team. So, Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. uh, prayers for Jan Noel, who is getting a new dental crown on Tuesday. Uh, so, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. I have this under prayers for uh, uh, concerns, but I, I think it's meant to be a prayer for blessing. Uh, But it's also Dana Dempsey, prayers for the support and grace God has given my niece, Brianna. That sounds like a prayer of thanksgiving for the support, but you can always use new support. So uh, let's go ahead and say, Lord, in your mercy. Um, And then uh, also from Dana, prayers of thanksgiving for TUMC. I'll say an amen to that one. Um, I've uh, been thinking a lot When when you're home and you're you're just there with the ice and snow and you can't go anywhere, you have time to think. And so thinking a lot about our church and where we're headed this last week and just reminding myself how grateful I am to be here and to be part of this particular congregation. And I think everything that God has done for us in this last two years has been amazing, actually. We might, and I hope I'm not jinxing it, uh, we might get floors soon. That would be wonderful. So we want to continue praying a prayer of thanksgiving for TUMC, and uh, thanks that hopefully the, the light at the end of the tunnel is coming near. And so um, we want to say both, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, but also then how God has, has, has graced us. This is the work of the Lord, and so thanks be to God. And then also finally prayers for the Silver Serenaders concert tonight in Waxahachie. So pray that they have a good performance and that uh, it is meaningful to those who see it. So Lord, in your mercy. I wanted to add, uh, you may have seen this on the news about uh, the rash of bomb threats that have been received at historically black colleges and universities this last week. Uh, as far as I have heard, and correct me if I'm wrong, n- there has not been a bomb or an explosion. There's just been bomb threats. But that's got to be very, um, very scary uh, for all of those involved. And this is a very sick person or persons that is doing this. So we pray that there be no actual violence. We pray for these uh, historically black colleges and universities, that their staff and their professors and their students can feel safe We pray for the people making these threats, that they'll be able to feel the love of God in their hearts to realize that this really isn't a good thing to be doing. So for all of those colleges and universities, Lord, in your mercy. And now let us, with the confidence we have as children of God, pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
1: Stand as you're able and join in our closing hymn, number 613. Not this be but um.
0: I've been trying to include a Wesley hymn into every service we have during this sermon series, and that one we just sang was, indeed, a Charles Wesley hymn. I want to remind you, you can always find a recording of our service on our Facebook page, on our website, tumcd.org, or through um, our webcast, or excuse me, our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. And I want to invite you also, I, I thought about this this morning. If you have not liked the Facebook page for Trinity United Methodist Church yet, please do. Uh, Of course, I want you to like all the posts as well, but like the site as well that does good things for us. And so your action items for this week, if you haven't done so already, like us on Facebook, continue to pray that our building get completed and completed well, and then submit yourselves to be more vile at some point this week because it serves the kingdom of God. I received this benediction. Because by grace you have been saved through faith, there is great joy in heaven. So go forth and be who God created us to be, the body of Christ reflecting the image of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue examining our Methodist heritage through the life of its founder, John Wesley, in our sermon series, The Faith of John Wesley. You'll find recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.